0: Live from. New
1: York. New York.
0: This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Wait for
1: the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle. Follow me. Follow me for
0: freedom. You already put it. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. <laughs>
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, which New York sports talk long suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are going to talk Jets training camp here. I'm going to be joined in just a minute by Gary Phillips of Jets Wire. We're going to talk all about Robert Salas' first training camp. A lot of fun stuff for the Jets this year. And interesting to see what happens with them. We'll talk about that in just a bit. We're also going to dive into the world of Marvel again with our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rose. We're going to dive into the premiere of What If, the latest Marvel show, the first animated one in the cycle of the MCU. We'll talk about that at the end of the show, but we'll get also started with this week's opening tip where we're going to take a look at where our baseball teams are, specifically the Mets after a interesting week. against the nationals and the Dodgers right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this?
0: The opening tip.
1: Here we go. All right, we are back here on the opening tip talking New York Mets baseball. And boy, things are a bad, desperate spot for the Mets right now, who looked like they raided the ship for a bit last week and they swept the Nationals in a three game set. But they faced the big boys. The big boys have smacked them back to earth. They lost three in a row of the dives over the weekend at home. Recording on Tuesday morning after they lose the Giants on Monday night, so they are now a season high three and a half games back in the National League East, which is problematic. They still have nine more games against the Dodgers and Giants when they get back to the rest of the schedule. Plenty's gone wrong with this team. Remember back in June, we were excited about, oh they were one three out of four against the Cubs. They were ten or five hundred. They're back to five hundred. They have gone twenty four and. 34 over that span which is absolutely absurd that they reach this point there are too many things to go wrong here and the blame are on. obviously the key here they don't hit this team is not hitting nearly enough whether it's you know the continued struggles of running scoring position the fact that they cannot get the big hit to save their lives the approach of the play has been horrendous all season whether or not guys are just missing fastballs down the middle unable to hit breaking balls. It makes you wonder if the decision they made back in April, fire chili days and bringing Hugh Qualabon to teach the organizational process has gotten in the heads of all these guys because it's one thing for Michael Conforto had a bad year. It's another thing for Michael Conforto and Dominic Smith and Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor and James McCann to all have bad years. That, to me, points to the process is bad as opposed to the hitters themselves being bad. And speaking of the process, the organization itself is not faultless here as well because there are multiple problems with this team throughout the year. Number one is this organization makes decisions that act their against their own best interests in terms of analytics and the process. For example, is Friday night against the Dodgers, the Mets are facing lefty Julio Reyes, who has been average against lefties this year. And the Mets have several hitters on their left-hand side who do well against lefties, including Dom Smith, who I think is top five in the league for lefty-on-lefty contact average. Jeff McNeil, solid 250. Mike Conforto has been warming up. All three are not in the starting lineup. Who they put in? Brandon Drury hitting third, no less, in right field. On second base, excuse me. Kevin Pillar in left field. Albron Moore in right field. The latter two are hitting below 200 against lefties. Predictably, they did nothing. When the, you're raising the game. All of a sudden, late in the game, when he comes out, they start putting the regulars in. What happened? They start scoring runs. What a concept. You put your better players in, you you do better baseball. This is something that has plagued his organization all year. Is this, for me, it's a sense of, I want to call it complacency with this coaching staff, where they are too content to play for tomorrow or for later than to stare at situations in their face. Whether it's, oh, we're going to start Jared Ico because we have to save guys for tomorrow, or we have to put Yenzi Diaz in this spot because we have to save guys for t- our big guys for tomorrow. You're going to run out of tomorrows before now and then. And it's annoying because last night, perfect example Aaron Loops, the Mets' best hitter, best relief pitcher. He comes in, gets a big out, gets taken out of the game. All of a sudden, Miguel Castro gives up home runs. Trevor May gives up home runs. You have wasted the Aaron loop for one out. Or about Sunday night, for example? The Mets' Carlos Carrasco falls down 6 nothing early. They know they're taking him out of the game in the top of the third. They have runners on in the second, set up the bat for himself to bunt, and then take him out. They ask Carlos Carrasco of the game, why were you in there to hit when you were coming out of the game the next day? He said, like, I have no idea. And Elise Rojas says, well, we only have four-man benches too early to burn on our pinch hitters. It's not too early when you're down 6-0. All those pinch hitters end up being useless because you got buried. This is the kind of stuff that just drives me nuts with this team. And add to it the fact that they seem to think that nothing is wrong with them. And that the process will work. And the process is going to be fine. And you're hearing the same old cliche nonsense of, oh, the process is working well. You got J.D. Davis last night saying, we don't look at our record. We work about winning games. We just look look at the record. You haven't done much winning in months, and I'm really sick of the process. Gotta trust the process. The results will come. Trust the process. I hate to break to you, if the Mets were heart surgeons, their process right now would kill about 15 patients, and they would say, "Don't worry, they're getting better at operating." Tomorrow they'll figure out how to save the patient. That's not how this is gonna work. The season is slipping away from them, and they don't seem to care much about it. There's a lack of urgency in this room. I think, no offense to Louis Rojas, who has done a good job shepherding him through tough times. He has looked overmatched at this point this year. There is no urgency from him to try and take advantage of the situation they have. They squander games that they should easily win. And I think you have to make wholesale changes to this group as the season, because... This group, outside of six weeks in 2019, has not been able to produce a runner's score position. This group has not been able to rise to the challenge of, I get not in Lindor or Jacob DeGrom is a tough deal, but teams miss players all the time and find ways to rally. There is more than enough talent on this roster to win baseball games. The fact that the Mets have not is very concerning. And this is a year where they had an opportunity to get in the playoffs, out of a weak division, and it's going to get squandered because... They let the Braves hang around, they let the Phillies hang around, sort of acting as an you of, oh, they'll never get hot, we'll just take care of what we need to do t- for tomorrow, and then we'll be fine. They were playing to the division as opposed to playing the games at hand. Think back to that stretch in late June, when they could have buried those two teams, they did not. Think back to that series before the trade deadline, they had five games against Atlanta, lost three. They did not, Atlanta had four outfielders, and some key reliever Richard Rodriguez, all of a sudden, Atlanta has gone 13-4 the last 17 games. The Mets are 5-13 over the last 18. That's how you go from being up 4.5 games to down 3.5 in the blink of an eye. And the Braves have been a ridiculously easy schedule this week. They beat the Marlins last night. They got two more against them. They have two, three against the Orioles this week. By the way, they've gotten one win in the entire month of August. Where is the urgency for the Mets? By the time they get home, they could be six games out and well under 500. And I get the still games because Nationals and Marlins left. And the Marlins did not beat, by the way. They lost three out of four of them. You are running out of time. This season could go flushing down the drains. At this point, you spent 90 days in first place. 90. This is what has you play mediocre baseball. There's no urgency. There's no real changes. The trade deadline was a blown opportunity because... Obviously, they did not have the chips make wholesale additions like these other teams did, but they took their one chip and used it for the wrong player Javier Baez, who regardless of the fact he got hurt, which is a different argument, he did not fit what this team needed. They need a proven run producer in the middle of this lineup. Javier Baez is not that guy. He is an electric player who strikes out way too much. And also it's like they got him because A, Sandy also been trying to get him for about 10 years and B, Francisco Lindor went to the front office and recommended it. That is not the process I want the front office to follow in terms of acquisitions. Chris Bryant, who homered twice against the Mets last night, by the way, every reason why they lost this game, he would have been a much better fit for this lineup. He comes, he can come in, back cleanup, drive in runs, play multiple positions, give them options. That would have worked. Instead, they went for Javier Baez, a strikeout machine, and you got exactly what you paid for. And right now, it's gonna, it cost them their first-round prospect from last year, Pete Crow Armstrong, who was number five in their forces when they traded him, for about a six-week rental. And When you factor in the time, bias, will miss with the injuries. That is a terrible process. And something that the Mets, Steve Cohen, has to recognize has to get fixed here. The lack of urgency coming out of that room is startling. You heard when Zach Scott went in there last week at the press conference prior to the homestead and said, hey, this is not acceptable. We are not playing to our level. Guys are not following instructions. I was glad Zach Scott called things out because I'm tired of his, oh, you know, everything is great. We're following the process. We're going to win. Believe in us. Mets fans pay high ticket prices. Mets fans expect results. They don't want to hear trust the process and clubhouse chemistry. Cloud service does not matter when you're losing three out of four of the Marlins, when you're getting swept out of first by the Phillies, when you're looking non-competitive against the Gi- Giants and Dodgers at points. None of that matters. You are light years away from being close to this elite level of the league. With the third highest payroll, it's just problematic. And you heard plenty of stuff. all weekend also about moral victories. If this thing breaks our way, we'll win. Or if we gotten the hit here, we would win. Ignores the fact that the Mets made plenty of mistakes in those games. And on Sunday night, the Dodgers were booting the ball around the 1962 Mets and still found a way to win 14-4. to This team is a disaster right now. They are in big trouble. They already lost one game on this trip. They still have six more out west. going Four with the Dodgers, who, by the way, look like weight classes above the Mets. Do you see a world where they come out of here with more than two wins on this trip? I do not. That means you're coming home under 500 and you still have the Giants again in City Field. The season is on the line this week. They're going to let it slip away, and it's very disappointing. Enough about the Mets. We'll keep an eye on them. I don't think there's any much report going forward with them, but up next, we're we'll going to talk about the Jets with Gary Phillips right after this. With the second pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Zach
0: Wilson, quarterback, BYU. And as you can see, Zach Wilson is here. And on top of his
1: already elite quarterback hair, he puts a New York Jets take flight cap on his lid. And is this young man the savior that the Jets organization and their fans have been searching for since Broadway, Joe Namath. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, talking New York Jets football as training camp is well underway. Join me today, the guy who covers the Jets for Jets Wire, Gary Phillips is here. Gary, how are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. Happy to be
1: on. I have to say, it's also nice. It's the first time I had somebody who else at the last name of Phillips on the podcast, so it's pretty cool okay.
0: I'm I'm honored to be a first.
1: <laughs> I am honored I'm honored to be talking to you right now and it's gonna be exciting to, to watch the Jets this year in training kicks. Obviously the Adam Gase regime was a bit of a letdown. We have Robert Sala in as the new head coach, new regime. What have you what's your impression of what we got seen out of the Robert Sala run camp so far?
0: Well it's just a totally different vibe around the team. I mean, he, he couldn't be any more different than Gase. And also it kind of seems like his coaching staff is really different than the coaching staff that was previously here. You know, Gase wasn't a big yeller or screamer or, you know, cursor, but Greg Williams certainly was. So we're not seeing these rants, this fiery approach. You know, it was just earlier this week that Sala was talking about um preaching accountability, preaching Teaching moments opposed to penalizing guys or, you know, taking punitive measures for mistakes on the football field. And I think you can just tell there's a lot more positivity. There's a lot more coaching and teaching and there's this, you know, kind of infectious, hopeful vibe around the team that all starts with him.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's an interesting comparison because we saw what happened in Giants camp earlier this week. We were talking the week of August like 2nd here in there that they had the whole fight breakout and Joe Judge is going to do push-ups, running laps, so on, and so forth. Sort of like something out of like the miracle of Herb Brooks. And they asked Robert Sala about it, and he's like, hey, I don't believe in that stuff. I believe in teaching accountability as a team and not having to force it. I think that's the point you're trying to make there.
0: Yep, exactly. And, you know, I'll give Joe Judge a little, you know, benefit of the doubt with his approach there because that was after a fight where his quarterback ends up on the bottom of a pile so you know you're going to be a little hot headed and angry after that so I understand maybe you wanted to, wanted to take that out on the guys but when it comes to like football mistakes you know Rex Ryan used to do penalty push-ups. Todd Bowles used to do penalty push-ups. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that with Robert Sala leading the charge
1: yeah, I think one thing we obviously have to watch here for the Jets is obviously the development of Zach Wilson. I mean, the reports out of, out of uh, the mini camps where he looked really good and did look at rookies, had his ups and downs in praying so far. What do you think about what we've seen out of, uh, of Wilson to date?
0: He seems like a pretty easy passer. It seems like he's got a really good grasp of the offense, as good as you can as a rookie, you know, only a couple practices into training camp. Uh There's definitely a connection there with Elijah Moore, you know, his, his fellow draft mate. So that's going to be huge, I think, for this offense in – 2021 and you know it seems like he's just doing all the right things off the field you've had michael floor solid both talk about his crazy study habits and his film habits so we'll, we're going to see pretty soon in the preseason and then the regular season how that how that play plays out and how his talents translate to the nfl level because look they don't they don't have any other options to start there's no veteran you know that's gonna delay him uh him taking the reins here
1: yeah, for sure. I think one thing that they did better for him than the Jets' preseason did for Sandor was they got him weapons. So I think obviously there's no like Julio Jones, a- like AJ Brown, top receiver here, but there's a deeper group compared to what Sandar had. What do you think about the depth of this receiving room?
0: Uh, not just the receiving room, but even you know the running backs, the offensive line. Just the, it's probably as deep an offense as. We've seen in a few years now. I mean, like you said, there's no superstars there, but you, know, you bring in receivers like Corey Davis, like Elijah Moore, like even Keelan Cole, you know, who's very versatile, can play on the inside and the outside. Um, you, you you invest significant draft capital in Elijah there, Tucker. You bring in Morgan Moses. Um, as far as your running back room goes, this LaFleur offense is going to be based on committee, but you got Michael Carter, who you drafted pretty high. You brought in a veteran like Kevin Coleman to show these guys the rope. So it's definitely a way deeper unit than we've seen in a while.
1: Yeah, I think I like the fact that it's, it's deep. And I, I, must, I get, don't get me wrong, I'd love for them to see to get, see them get that top guy eventually. But I remember, I think the, back to the early games of last season when the Jets had all the receivers and they're running out guys like Lawrence Cager and Josh Malone catching passes. Now you not, shouldn't have that problem this year.
0: No, and like you look at the depth, like I said, you know, a guy like Cole might not jump out at you, but I think he's going to make an impact this year. Um, you've got even Braxton Berrios who seems to have a nice rapport with Wilson early in that, you know, relationship. Uh, Denzel Mims, last year's second round pick, he's been, you know, seeing some action with the second and third teams, which isn't exactly what you hope for him going into his second year, but that also kind of just speaks to the depth that the Jets have here.
1: Yeah, I think also the line is very important for them because it's they, they been a multi-year rebuild in progress here. I mean, they do have a solid left side. You figure Connor McDerm- McDermott to be better in the new scheme. Morgan Moses is a coup. What do you got the strength of the line right now for the Jets?
0: It just looks so much more improved than it ever did under Sam Darnold. And, you know, we'll find out this year in Carolina how much of his struggle or his own fault versus the fault of the team and the pieces that were put around him. But you know, keeping the focus on this current team and this current quarterback, Zach Wilson. He's in a better position than Darnold ever was. Um, And he's got a strong offensive line. He's got, you know, a plethora of weapons. So they're going to keep him upright. They're going to give him targets. Let's see how quickly he can, uh, can adjust to the NFL level.
1: Absolutely. I think the other the unit on the team, I think actually is gonna be in the best shape is the defense because they have so much talent up front. They have a new scheme from Robert Sal. What do you think about the new defense they gotta implement here?
0: Well, I'm really I'm really excited to see Carl Lawson uh you know get in some game action. he's been the talk of training camp more than Wilson even, which is pretty surprising when you have a rookie quarterback, especially with the Jets. I mean, he's beaten Makai Beckton left and right, he's blown every coach and every teammate away so i'm really excited to see him but just in general i I think you're going to see a lot of improvement from some of the incumbents guys like quinn and williams i think are going to build on his career year in this new defense i think you're going to see somebody like jared davis who kind of fell out of favor in detroit he's going to be a much better fit here um I, i think guys like Rankins. um John Franklin Myers, they're, they're going to thrive under Salah, but also Jeff Olberts in this defense.
1: Yeah. I think one guy also gets forgotten about is be a huge deal. He comes back is CJ Mosley being back in his defense because he was one of the best linebackers in football before he got hurt his first year at the Jets. He didn't play last year because he opted out, but him coming to the middle of the defense will also be huge.
0: Yeah. I'm really interested to see what he's going to look like, how he's going to perform. Like you said, one of the better linebackers in the NFL before he essentially misses two seasons. Um, He's got a totally different body type now that he's back, you know, in the building. Uh, He's being asked to play a different defense, a different scheme. So we're going to see how he adjusts, but he definitely sounds and looks motivated thus far.
1: Yeah, one thing also that you're watching with the Jets, obviously, is the fact that they chose not to go get veteran help at the corner. Right now, the outside guys are Bless Austin and Bryce Hall, who are young like late round picks you have Michael the other Michael Carter in the slot there's a lot of youth there so i feel like that's definitely a concern that they have to keep an eye on
0: you know i, I think it definitely is but just you know going back to like solo's approach solo's philosophy he's really big on you know developing young guys and investing that time and actually giving them the chance to, to prove themselves and prove that the develop that the development is paying off essentially you know he kind of talked about that with backup quarterbacks with James Morgan and Mike White as well, but you know, the Jets have invested time and resources and picks in these guys like Hall, like Bless Austin, like you know, the rookies that they drafted this year. They're they're going to get a chance for better or worse, and I think that also speaks to the organization realizing you know, this is not a win-now year. 2021 is not a win-now year. They expect to be competitive, but there's still going to be some growing pains, and they're embracing them.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think the other interesting spot to watch for the Jets has been a problem since Mike McCadden let Jason Myers walk after his Pro Bowl years. The kicking battle. I know they just cut Sam Thicke and They brought in Amendola to compete with uh, Nagger. Like, do you think the kicker is currently on the roster? Think it's gonna be somebody's gonna be shaking off and cut downs again?
0: I, I can never tell with the Jets and their kickers. For all I know, they'll have another three or four guys in that room before the regular season even starts. So we'll, we'll see how the preseason game goes and you know the green and white scrimmage goes. But uh, it, it, it would never surprise me if the Jets bring in cuts and more kickers.
1: Yeah, I think the preseason is actually going to be a big help for them because last, I mean, they're trying to have somebody, bad, especially kicker, giving Wilson live reps. I think the preseason is going to be a bigger benefit for them than it's been in previous years.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like even going back to the offensive line, you know you've got some new faces in there, but guys are gonna have more of a chance to gel. Just the whole team as a as a whole is gonna have a more of a chance to gel, see what it's like to be in game situations with each other um that's def- that definitely was a hindrance last year. I know the offensive line spoke a lot about that last year, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of impact that has now.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing the preseason I think is interesting, I, this regime is doing that the Adam Gase one did not, is they're scheduling some of these joint practices out of the team. I always think it's a smart idea to get some exposure to teams outside of the preseason games. What do you think about that choice this year?
0: I, I like it because, you know, again, you have a very young team, so it helps to expose them to some of the things they're going to see in the NFL. It also I think it also just adds a little intensity to practices in general, no matter how old your team is. You know, you've got guys – teammates going up against each other day after day in practice it gets a little stale it gets a little old it gets a little predictable so I think particularly with a young team with a young quarterback it's going to make a huge difference but it's also going to help the rest of the roster it's going to help a coaching staff that is relatively inexperienced and I know where a lot of coaches find themselves in new positions and new jobs so I, I don't really see the downside to it
1: Especially considering one of those is against Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers is there. It's something Zach Wilson's got to be sitting there like taking notes watching how Rodgers appears and runs his
0: practice. Right. That's got to be so helpful for him. Just, you know, even if he gets five minutes alone just to talk to Rodgers, you know, that could have a huge impact on him moving forward. So uh, I think there's a lot of positives to it.
1: Absolutely. And obviously, there's a lot, Kent's been going on for a little bit. Like based on what you've been hearing so far, who are some guys there like not on the top of mind for Jet fans who could be making some noise here?
0: Well, Moore has obviously been, you know, one of the talk of practices, but that's a little more that's a little more on the nose. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that yesterday, when asked about the slot cornerback position, that uh, you know, he, Robert Sala was asked directly about Javon Gidry and Michael Carter too, and Sala went out of his way to know Elijah Campbell was also in the running for playing time there. So that's a really interesting uh, kind of dark horse candidate, if you will. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see if. You know that continues throughout the summer if he even makes the roster, but it kind of speaks to sala wanting to give everybody give everybody an opportunity, wanting to make sure that everybody understands you know nothing's being handed to you, everybody's competing for a job, and uh you know that that definitely speaks to the culture change around the team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this year, even with the expanded playoffs, and the extra game, nobody's expecting them to make the postseason. What do you think is a realistic expectation for this group? Because obviously, they can't go two and fi- two and fifteen. So, what do you think? Like, is a realistic, not like, target for them?
0: I don't really have like I haven't settled on a record or anything like a record prediction. I try to avoid those more than anything. But like my expect my expectation, or I think my, you know, if I were the Jets. A good, reasonable goal is to be competitive this year. I think they have the talent to do that, but you factor in the inexperience. You know, they're probably going to lose some games here and there. Probably some close ones at times. They'll they'll be frustrating at times. Um, but I think you're going to see a much more competitive football team. And I think that should be the goal for you know a team with such a young roster, a first year head coach, a rookie
1: quarterback. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable expectation because this last year this team was getting blown out in the first half of games. You could honestly turn the game off when they there was you know no shot they're coming back. So if they're in most of their games, I think that's a big step in the right direction. Absolutely. All right, Gary. Thanks all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I could be following on social media. You what you're doing for Jets Wire.
0: Yeah, so got stuck up at Jets Wire every day. Um, you can now find us along with the rest of the. USA Today, NFL wire site, you know, for any other teams you want to check out. And then I'm over on Twitter at Gary H. Phillips if you want to give me a follow.
1: All right, Gary, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate
0: it. Yep. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast talking Marvel today, talking what if, and here to figure out what would happen if we did a Marvel podcast today is the pop culture correspondent of the Park podcast, Sandra Rose, here. Sam, how are you?
2: Great. How are you, Mike?
1: Doing pretty good. I got to start off with a what if. Like, what if you were the host of this podcast? How would
2: this go? It would not be as organized or probably would not have gone as long because my <laughs> ADD brain can't handle uh <laughs> This consistency. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, well, that's good to know. So, podcast Pac- audience, be happy that was not the what if scenario went down. So,
2: I enjoy that first mm-hmm. question because yeah. I I'm not good at keeping things like consistent like that. Like I'd be like, "Oh, do this, 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 this," and then it's just like nothing, fo- like no follow through.
1: <laughs> that's true. And speaking of some follow through, Marvel is on a roll with that right now. They are into their. Phase four cat content. Three shows are done. The movie Black Widow finally come out. Now we are into the world of what if we got a bunch of animated episodes. I think it's nine or 10 coming out every Wednesday on Disney plus. And when you saw that this was the topic before you even saw the trailer, like what were you expecting heading into the show?
2: I honestly had no idea what to expect. Um, to be honest, I'm just like, Uh, animated I'm like "Mm," because you know my whole deal with the whole Star Wars animated like Clone Wars film uh, or TV show I apologize and film I guess Uh, but I'm like I was like weirdly like looking forward to it just because it's anything new in Marvel just you know tickles my fancy to be honest
1: yeah I did love this idea for the fact it's something that kind of throws you back to the comic book feel a little bit because it's animated which I did look forward to seeing that I like the idea, and it's something that, like, my friend Nick Frietta, I one of the Sky Guys talked about on the Star Wars podcast. It's like, one of these things, it's like, it's always fun to have these sort of ideas in your head. Like, you know, what would have happened if Peggy Carter was a super soldier instead of Steve Rogers? But what would have happened if Thanos uses his Infinity Stones to create infinite resources that of trying to destroy half a life? Stuff like that's always fun.
2: Yeah, and it's funny, too, because, like, as much as, like, a creative person I think I am, I would have never thought, like, Peggy being, you know... Like, Agent Carter being, you know, the super soldier. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm like, wow, that was so creative. You know, it's like so simple, so straightforward. But meanwhile, like, my small brain's like, that's so intense.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Intense. And I'm going to throw the spoiler warning up here for people who are watching the – I've not watched the show yet, so – All right. You've been warned. If you did not watch the premiere of Marvel's What If, you can go ahead, dip out of here, go watch it. It's about 30 minutes. Come back in watch and listen to the podcast now. I will say this was fun. I did enjoy having Jeffrey Wright be the watcher, the voice of the watcher. I thought that was a good voice casting poll.
2: Right. And it's funny, too, because I feel like, you know, with him, the whole thing with Westworld and everything that we've discussed, he was like the perfect candidate.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he was great. I loved hearing him come in, and it was nice also that they got the vast majority of the voice actors from Captain America in there. Obviously. I mean, Chris Evans is not there. That's a little disappointing, but they got everybody else.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because I, like, wrote, like, I know you guys can't see, and I have the worst handwriting.
1: YouTube but- version, you can see it.
2: I have like <laughs> I have um these like random written notes, and the first thing I wrote was big names voicing. Yeah, was like my first thing. I was like, wow, like I was so impressed that like you know they had like Sebastian Stan and everybody because you know low key love that guy because he's so cool.
1: Yes, I mean some of the voice actors there, Peggy like, like Haley Atwell's back is Peggy Carter, Dominic Cooper is Howard Stark, Sebastian Stan is Bucky again. The rest, the rest of uh this. I forget what the name of the group is, but like the rest of the soldiers are all voiced with the same people. Toby Jones yeah. is back. Like everybody's there except for.
2: Yeah. And then they have Stanley Tucci and yeah. they have um,
1: Ross Marquand
2: West Wing. Yeah. I can't think of that poor man. Oh, Bra-
1: Bradley Whitford.
2: Yes. Thank you. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I just think of his, him as Joshua from um, West Wing. I know that sounds so bad, yeah. but.
1: Yeah, they did a good job getting the voice cast in here. So I thought it was fun. They give you the story of, of basically, they say, okay, what if one thing changed in, the, in this whole alternate path? And the one thing that changed is in Captain America, this is the first Avenger. Peggy Carter stays in the room instead of going up to the observation box. Because she's there, she triggers the guy to act early and set the bomb off. Like Steve gets shot. She has to jump in the thing that when we have the fun half-hour adventure, what happens if her being the Captain Carter instead of Steve being Captain America? I thought that was fun.
2: Yeah, too. And then like, like, I know it's a what-if, but, like, the first, what was it, like, three minutes? Yeah. Like, you shot Steve Rogers. Yeah. I thought he was dead for a minute. I was so upset for, yep. like, a full 30 seconds.
1: Yeah, and we have a lot of fun like, content here. You know, still have a lot of Marvel stuff played out. You know, if you've seen the movie, I think it adds to it, like, what happens here, because you see her go in, like, go storm the base. She managed to basically beat the crap out of a bunch of German soldiers, steal the Tesseract back. This is the Dominic Cooper, uh Howard Stark, and we basically see that he basically builds a proto Iron Man suit for Skinny Steve, which is a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I know that was really cool the um hydro the Hydra Stomper.
1: Yeah.
2: I thought it was like so interesting. Um but like also I know this is like more historical, but how bad does it look to be like, you know, the like have the Union Jack yeah. on the shield because yeah. of you know like going to like history classes, like how bad Great Britain was yep. <laughs> throughout the whole world. I'm like, ooh, harsh undertones there.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, I definitely enjoyed it. I thought it was nice that you have a quick half hour, you know. We weren't wandering around doing too much. We still had plenty of action. I thought it was cool because obviously because anime, they can do more stuff than we do if it was a, this was live action. It costs a lot of money.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. And then my thing is like, are can they keep things like, cohesive like all in one timeline or are they going to be like jumping back and forth like i feel like they have so many different you know avenues to choose from
1: well i mean the fact that they kind of wrap this one up pretty neatly in a bow at the end of the episode kind of they feel like they have like nine or ten self-contained stories of like what if this happened here's what would be the repercussion i feel like that's the way they're going here
2: true and then like that wasn't that hawkeye at the end
1: it was it was jeremy renner did voice voice uh hawkeye
2: yeah so what i'm thinking is like why is it hawkeye yeah you know what i mean like i feel like that's going to lead to something different down the line
1: it absolutely could and i think the fun thing here was like obviously we get the ending where instead of having like in the original timeline where steve ross gets frozen under the sea and he stays there for 70 years peggy carter basically just has to fight back a giant octopus and just shoves him back into a wormhole and pops out 70 years later when Furious Tesseract, instead of having Loki pop out like in the original Avengers, she pops out.
2: Yeah. And that, that, would, that gave was... major Jumanji vibes yep. of when Robin Williams jumps back into time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I thought it was fun. I was like, it's fun that they put this right after Loki, like when we see Loki end with the whole multiverse being created and all of that. I think it's fun that we sort of say, here's some of the possibilities that he could have created because Loki, because Sylvie broke the timeline by killing he who remains.
2: Yeah, and then I'm thinking like, do you think that the, down the line there could be a character, the watcher, the guide? You know yeah, what I mean? Because, yeah. like, yes, he's the narrator in this whole series right now. Yeah. But, like, he could be a character that's, like, kind of like, you know, when, you know he could technically be a timekeeper. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, we're not surprised. I mean, if they have Jeffrey Ryan on the payroll, I'm not be surprised at some point in a future movie. They just bring him into a live-action version somehow. Yeah. It's like, for me, like, the spot, I think, would have been that Doctor Strange movie. I think that's where... I, they haven't heard any rumors of him being cast in it, so, like, that would be one I would not be surprised they want to try and tie it again, maybe, like, a post-credits and he shows up.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you there, because I know... You know how Marvel tries to be super yeah. sneaky, and yeah. at the end, they're, like, not that
1: sneaky. Yeah, that's for sure. And I do think, also, with this show, the one thing I also really enjoyed was, like... The animation quality also was very good. They used have that cell shading technique that I think is not like more of a Clone Wars style where it's like, I forget, it's more like 3D-ish. This was more cell shaded. I think it worked for the look of the characters.
2: Exactly. And it's so funny too. Again, I wrote like, I like the comic book type animation. Yeah. I, I also wrote that down. If we wanted to go yeah. back to look at my lovely notes, you know, for all the YouTube watchers out there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they're they're there. I did enjoy this a lot. I think this show has so much potential, which is I'm glad that their merch has already been renewed for a second season, which I think is good because the possibilities really are endless. A show like this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I just feel like there's so many avenues, and then like then again, like with Doctor Strange, they could like you know see this in a different way with the multiverse, and you know they could probably bring up Wandavision. It's just like they. I just like that they're given so many different storylines i guess yeah uh to you know give this a story or give multiple stories for the show
1: yeah let's play the what if game for me so like if you were in charge here and thinking back to like anything in the marvel universe and the conflict you read right back are they like are there a what if that you would want to see them do
2: um i definitely hope that this season um also just in general i want to do the what if if it was switched uh black widow and hawkeye
1: Oh, so like if Black Widow is the one who didn't die on or Hawkeye jumped into his death.
2: Yes, because like the whole movie with Black Widow, with her sister and everything, like I want to see how life would be if she got to reconnect with everybody.
1: Yeah, I think my big one, which I love to see, I don't know if they're going to do it, is like, what if Civil War doesn't happen? What if they like, instead of fighting in the airport, actually talk things out and don't fracture the entire Avengers ahead of Thanos coming in? Like you feel like that could make things very different.
2: I feel like that's a that's a great one because yeah. you know they i feel like they just like really tore each other apart and wasted you know so much time where they could be like you know buddy buddy and like fighting crime and whatnot but of course that lovely movie i don't hate it it's just yeah. it's just a sad movie
1: I think of it's just another fun one i don't know if they will do spring spider it's like what if ned got bit by the spider that would be funny also
2: That'd be so great. I feel like i see those all the time yeah. or um, like what if Wanda and uh, her brother um, never got like the superpowers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I like, I try and look at these. I'm curious to see like with the, ep- the directions they take it, like if any of these do sort of lead to sort of live action ideas down the line, because this is something that like, if one of these really takes off, like all of a sudden they say, Oh, captain Carter was great. Like, they could, like, call up Haley Allen and say, hey, let's do, like, a like 5'0 Captain Carter show or something like that. I could see something like that happening.
2: I feel like she would do it, too, because she yeah. did Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything.
1: Yeah, she, they had her own show. They had Agent Carter back in the day, too. Like, that was fun. Yeah. I yeah. think they, they never utilized her properly in the MCU.
2: No, I feel like maybe they just brought her on too soon. It was, like, too soon of, like, you know, our time yeah. to do for it to be, like, a leading woman show, unfortunately. But...
1: Yeah, I will say, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season also, because i like to see, like, where they're going with some of these storylines. I knew, though, that, like, the late, Cha- great Chadwick Boseman did record his dialogue as Uh T'Challa there. I know there's one what if coming where, basically, he gets, like, taken by by uh, Yondu instead of uh, Star-Lord. So, like, he becomes the Star-Lord. I think that would be fun, too, to see that.
2: That's really cool. Yeah. I-, I mean, whoever thinks of these is so creative. Yeah. Like, blows my mind.
1: yeah. I'm also curious to see how many of the big voice actors we get coming in for the rest of the show. Because obviously we didn't get Chris Evans. We got a lot of the – everybody else from Captain America. It's like, do we get RDJ? Do we get Chris Hemsworth? I'm curious about that.
2: See, my thing is, like you said, it's renewed for a second season. Yeah. So I bet you, like, if this does well this season, they'll probably sign up for season two.
1: Yeah, because, like, compared to, like, some of the other like, I mean, compared to Clone Wars, my personal experience with it, like – they don't really have, I mean, in the movie version, they have Mace, they have Samuel Jackson is Mace Windu, and they have Christopher Lee as Dooku, but, like, in the actual show, it's just, like, C-3PO is the only guy, like, Anthony Daniels voices him in the, every episode he's in, but, like, the rest yeah. of them are all, like, voice-alikes or whatever, which I think, it'd be interesting to see if they all maintain level of voice acting quality for the, rest of the, for the rest of the run.
2: I mean, it sounded, like, really good, the guy who did uh, Chris Evans, I thought, yeah. did a good job.
1: Yeah, I believe his name was Jacob Heaton. I saw it was Healer I think in there, but like he did a great job like sounding like him.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I was just like, "Wow, it kind of sounded like Chris Evans, where I stuck around to look to see whose name was it."
1: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see that. I think are there any other shows you want to see like a what if any other friends to see what if kind of like series. What do you think would be fun to do something like this with?
2: My God, I feel like there's just so many. Um, I really, I'm just thinking about your Spider-Man, Spider-Man one. Uh, it's just stuck in my head, but I would like to see maybe like, cause I don't know, it's just going from um, what we just saw in episode one, maybe like a Pepper pots being yeah. like Iron Man. You know what I mean? That, like that, something a little different like that. That would be clever. Yeah. I mean, like, I know it's totally taking from episode one. Cause that's just where my brain is from just watching it just for today. Like it being premiere day.
1: Yeah. I would say, like, what are the media franchises? Not just like Marvel. Like, if we do like another thing, like with another like thing, like would you want to see like the what if in the Harry Potter world? Or like what if of store?
2: Oh, you mean like opening up to anything? Anything,
1: like any franchise?
2: Well, definitely Harry Potter because I'm not gonna lie, I'm a huge Ron Weasley fan. Yeah. I've been a wa- Ron Weasley fan since day one, like because he's low key big. But then again, like Neville being like the Harry Potter version, yeah. that'd be really cool to see a what if um but then i guess like for uh like a star wars kind of deal like a what if it was like han solo because i feel like han solo would just like run away you know what i mean because he like had to learn to you know not just be uh like a looter kind of deal but
1: yeah i think star wars to me is the winner because there's so many different possibilities there's so much content out there it's like i mean you got the obviously the big one like what happens if anakin doesn't fall the dark side that's obviously number one like the what if it happens there then you have also, it's like why well, was it Qui-Gon lived? Like that's also fun. Or like, what? Yeah. Like, what if Darth? What if Maul became like this? Became the Emperor of the galaxy instead Palpatine? That would be fun, also.
2: Oh yeah, and then what we were talking about how it became Darth Jar Jar Binks, yeah. like how stupid and evil he would be all at the same time.
1: <laughs> like, what if Jar Jar actually knew what he was doing?
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, he would probably be evil, but he'd probably be the worst evil. He'd be like Doctor Doofenshmirtz yeah. from Phine- Phineas and Ferb. Yeah. I truly believe that level of evil would just be Jar Jar Binks. <laughs>
1: for my personal favorite, what if they weren't cheap in episode six decided to do it with with whoopies instead of Ewoks?
2: Ooh, I feel like that would be like badass instead yep. of like kind of lame.
1: Yeah, that was although though. 83, they wanted to sell the teddy bears to the kids, so.
2: Yeah, no, I listened to your last podcast and I, was, I didn't even know that. Yeah. It was like a new fun fact for me.
1: Yeah, because I had done the research, and I looked it up, I'm like, you know, like, the Ewoks kind of suck, and I said, you know, it was going to be Wookiees, and they changed it the last minute. I'm like, why?
2: Well, it makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense, because yeah. you said it. It's yeah. just like, well, duh, like, you know, it's easy to sell to kids and whatnot.
1: Yeah, plus production-wise, I think it was, more, it was cheaper to, to have, like, have like Ewok houses that finding a bunch of tall, people who Yeah, because,
2: yeah. like, I feel like, you know, you even have to, like, for Big Bird and Sesame Street, they had to have a guy in stilts, and you have yeah. to be trained in stilts, and It like piles on for the amount of money for each, you
1: know, thing. Absolutely, I think it's gonna be a fun season for sure. I've got nine episodes of this, and I think I probably, I think this has a chance to be the best of the all the MCU shows. I know Loki and WandaVision are, are very popular. I think this one could top them.
2: I know what I hope so, and I hope it gets enough like clout. And it gets enough, like, you know, popularity for it to, like, you know, grow and everything yeah. for, you know, especially for us Marvel fans. I feel like we're Jones in for all new content.
1: Yeah, this is a fascinating litmus test for Marvel because a lot of times with the animation, a lot of people think, like, like, adults think, oh, like, animation is for children. Like, we don't need to watch animated properties. But then, like, my thing was, if you ever watch Into the Spider-Verse, that sort of changed my take on it because you can make a great animated movie for adults and have it work. And I think, yeah. like... This one, I think, is sort of it has a marvel where they could say like, if this works, we have more possibilities to play with besides live action.
2: Yeah. And then also that too, like I feel like I learned my lesson with Clone Wars. Yeah. Like I missed that. So when Mandalorian came around, I'm like, what is this? Like, oh, everybody's saying Clone Wars. How could I have missed that? And it's just like, well, because I thought it was a kid show. So now I'm like, no, everything I'm going to watch, I don't care if it's animated, if it's live action, whatever, if it's a book, I'll read it. Like. I'm trying to get my hands on everything.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those situations also where you look at the material, you say, you know, I think the animated stuff, like, it does obviously lend to kids for obvious reasons, but there is good stuff in there. I mean, not everything is great. I mean, Bad Batch for Star Wars has been very uneven in its first season so far, and like, we're recording prior to the end of it, so we'll see what happens there. I'll talk about it next week on the podcast of the Sky Guys. We do season one of Rebels, and that show I started... I'm enjoying that one a lot and like it was targeted to kids, but there's still plenty of interesting stuff in there.
2: Well, see, this is why you can't write anything off.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You cannot. And Sam, that's all the time I have today. I want to thank you for coming. I really appreciate it for i let you guys be on social media with some of the stuff you're up to. Uh,
2: you can find me on Twitter at S D E R O S five Um, on Instagram, Facebook, just Google me. I'll be there.
1: All right. That sounds good. Thanks again, Sam. Thank you. All right, and that will do for this show. I want to thank my guest, Gary Phillips, for coming on to talk all about the Jets. A lot of good stuff there. Our pop culture correspondent, Santa Rosa for coming on the line to talk all about Marvel's What If. Fun show, indeed. If you want to make like this podcast, including my look at what's happening with the Snoopy Bowl, instant reaction to that game on Saturday night between the Jets and the Giants, check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering" your favorite podcast platform. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings will help make the podcast even better going forward. sure check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Any little conversation from the episode up there, including my chats with Gary and Sarah, both on the YouTube channel right now. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's mphilips i p s three three one. And that will do it for the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast. Next week, we'll talk some college football with Bill to the Sporting News. The Sky Guys are back for Rebels and more. Until then, have a good week, everybody.
0: This has been the Just End the Suffering podcast. I'm out.